If not, I invite you to turn with me to the sixth chapter of the book of John. John chapter 6. I do have a bit of a lengthier reading today than I typically would. And uh, I won't apologize for that because uh, we're, we're reading the Word of God. And um, I just think it would be wrong for us to apologize for doing that. Uh, but I think it's important for us to understand the context around what we're going to read today. And I had somebody tell me one time that context is key. Don't get locked out. And um, I don't want you all locked out today. And uh, so we want to read here from the sixth chapter of the book of John. And um, I think it will be an account here uh, in the Gospels that each of you are, are probably familiar with. And uh, if not, uh, I especially encourage you to listen today as we read here from the sixth chapter of the book of John, beginning at verse 1. It says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were deceased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh, it was near to the Passover. And when Jesus lifted up his eyes, he's sitting here on this mountain, he lifts up his eyes, and he sees a great company that have come unto him. And he says to Philip, he says, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? The Passover is near. He asked Philip, When or where can we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him and said, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here, there is a boy here, which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise the fishes as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, That this is a truth. That, that Excuse me, let me repeat this. These, then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that would come into the world. When Jesus therefore... Let's skip down to verse 22. I'm sorry, I'm getting out of order here. Down to verse 22 with me. The world's greatest skip. It says, The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save the one whereinto his, God, his disciples had entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread. After that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? He said, when did you come over here? 
Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do, that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him who he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we might might see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. We'll stop our reading there at verse 35. I apologize for those errors in my reading. When I was in college, the two questions my roommate and I asked each other the most, most, one was, what are you about to do? Which meant we were bored and we wanted to see if the other person was going to do something more interesting than what we were doing. And the other question was, are you hungry? And if we ask that question to somebody else, are you hungry? It's because we were hungry ourselves and we wanted to know if they wanted to eat something with us. I want you to ask yourself that question today. Are you hungry? Now, you might say, Derek, that's an odd question for me to ask. If I'm hungry, I know that I'm hungry. Why would I have to ask myself to see whether or not I am, in fact, hungry? But what I think we would find as we would ask ourselves that question is that a lot of times we're hungry and we don't even realize it. You've probably been like me. There's been days where you've been so busy you forgot to eat. You didn't even realize that you didn't eat, but you get on around supper time and you say to yourself, you know what, I haven't ate anything today. You've been so preoccupied that you never even stopped to eat. And when you come upon that realization, all of a sudden you discover that you in fact are Hungry. So I want you to ask yourself that question today. Are you hungry? Now I want you to consider what we've read here and what we've seen with this miracle that Jesus performed, but also not just with a miracle, but with the teaching. We have here where Jesus and His disciples, they've gathered themselves up on a mountain here in Bethsaida, and as they look around, they see all these people, 5,000 in total, that have come unto Him. They've seen the miracles that He's performed, how those that were dead were brought back to life. It says and we see, so they have this interest in seeing who this prophet is. That's what they've reasoned in themselves that this man is. And so they come unto Him, they see, Jesus looks out and He sees all these people, and He asks, Unto Philip, he says, where can we go and buy bread for these people? And Philip looks at Jesus, and I can just almost see this interaction in my mind as it's expressed here in the Scriptures, that what's taking place is Philip saying, Jesus, you're asking me where we can go find bread for these people, but look at how many there are. It would take 200 days of wages. That's what it means when it says 200 pennies worth. It would take 200 days of wages for us to buy enough bread for all of these people. And even then it would only be enough for them to each have a little bit. But John makes this remark. He says that this he said to prove him. For he himself knew what he would do. 
Jesus had asked a question about where they might go and buy bread, not because He didn't know where to go to get bread, but Jesus had asked the question because He knew what was in store. It's why you just picture Jesus smiling at Philip when Philip is saying, look at all these people. What do you mean? How are we going to feed them? Or where we might go and buy food? We don't even have enough money, Jesus, to buy food. Can't you just picture Jesus smiling in response? We see that Andrew speaks up. And he says, there's a boy here and he has some food. It's not very much, especially for so many. But he has five barley loaves and he has two fishes. And Jesus says, have all the people sit down. And they were in a grassy place, so all the people sat down in number about 5,000. And they had the boy bring the, the bread up to him and the fishes. And Jesus takes it and He blesses it. He prays a blessing over it and He begins to break it. And He gives it to His disciples in their baskets and they go out and they're distributing to the people. The best we can tell that each one of His disciples must have had their own baskets. So they're going out and they're taking food to all of these thousands of people. And I can just about picture this too as the disciples were going out and they were taking bread to the people and they were giving all out and they would come back once their basket was empty and surely they came back that first time expecting that there was going to be nothing more when they got back there to, to get a refill for their bread basket and they would come back to Jesus and Jesus would fill it back up. And they would go back out again and they would distribute to the people and they would come back thinking surely there's not going to be a third time that we would have our baskets filled to take to the people. They came back a third time and there was more still. This time as they go out and they're taking the bread to the people back in the back who haven't ate yet, the people that have ate are beginning to say, hey, can I have seconds? These are good Baptist people, of course. Of course they're asking that question, right? They're wanting seconds. And they're thinking, there's no way that these people are going to have seconds. There's so many. And we just have a few loaves of bread to work with and a couple of fishes. What do you mean? We, we can't give you seconds. And they go back and Jesus fills up their basket a fourth time. Now everybody has been filled and they start giving out to those who want more still. And everyone ends up fed as much as they wanted. They come back to Jesus, and I'm sure at this point they're just, just just amazed about what's going on. They come back and they start stacking up their baskets. They probably think they're done. And Jesus tells them, He says, gather up all the fragments that remain. He says, go and get all the leftovers that nothing goes to waste. So they go back out with their baskets, these disciples, and they come back with 12 baskets full of leftovers from five loaves of bread and a couple of fishes. Now you've may have heard that story. I've heard it all my life. But I hope the miracle is not lost on you of what Jesus did that day to feed 5,000 people. What are these amongst so many? Jesus can take a little bit and it becomes a lot. And there's a significance to that in the life of the believer. That's not what I want to focus on today, but I don't want you to lose sight of this miracle. So these people that have saw all this, they say that it's a truth of that prophet that should come into the world. They believe this to be a prophet of God. And, and what we skipped over is, is no small thing that we skipped over. We just skipped over it for the sake of time. But the people desired to make Jesus a king. And you would have too. 
You had a man that was able to feed you out of five loaves of bread and a couple of fishes. They wanted to make him a king. And so Jesus goes up into a mountain by himself and the disciples get tired of waiting on him and darkness comes. And so they get off into, get onto the boat and they go out into the other side of the sea. They're about three or four miles out into the sea and all of a sudden a great wind comes up and, and they're in trouble and they look and behold Jesus walking on the water. That's why I said this is the greatest skip down of all time. We are merely skipping over the miracle in which Jesus came to His disciples walking on the water. And it says that they were afraid when they first saw Him, but then they He identified Himself, said that it is I, do not be afraid, and they immediately received Him onto the ship, and that immediately the ship was at the land where they went. So immediately they found themselves in Capernaum. The next day, the people that had their bellies fed the day before, they wake up and they see that Jesus isn't there. They see that His disciples aren't there. They take inventory of all the boats that have left and the boats that have came there. And and they reason amongst themselves that the disciples are gone and Jesus isn't here. So they themselves get into these little boats and they go on to the other side of the sea. And they get over there and they find Jesus in Capernaum. They said, Rabbi, teacher, when did you come here? And Jesus didn't answer their question. Their question was not that they were curious of when He got there. The hearts that they carried with them was that they were following Him because they wanted their bellies fed. Jesus calls them out on that. He says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, you seek Me not because you saw the signs, because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. As I've heard a preacher put it one time, Jesus said unto them, you didn't follow me because of what the miracles that you've seen. You followed me because you got your bellies filled. And that's what they did. And he said, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat that endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Now, Jesus is beginning to speak of a, a spiritual meat. One that would endure forever. And then they reason amongst themselves that he's speaking about God. And so they say, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? They're, they're interested in understanding more about the works that might be performed concerning bread. And Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe on him who he hath sent. Now keep in mind, these people are ones that were, would have been still hungry. This is not a time like we live today that if you get hungry and you have a dollar in your pocket, you can go find a cheeseburger somewhere. These people were worried about where they were going to get their next meal. They had saw this man provide for them with just a handful of loaves of bread and a couple of fishes. And so when Jesus says that you would believe on Him that God has sent, they said, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? They go, they go on and say, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. The people's mind continued to be focused on whether or not they were satisfied in their belly. Listen to what Jesus says to them then. He says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He which cometh down from heaven and giveth life into the world. The people hear this and they say, then then, then always give us this bread. Give us this bread then forever. And Jesus says this, He says, I am the bread of life. 
This is one of those great I am statements that we find here in the book of John. He says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Have you ever been truly hungry? I don't mean that you ate breakfast and now it's 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, and so it's time for you to eat lunch. I mean, have you ever been truly hungry? I'm not talking about where you ate breakfast, but you skipped lunch around about three or four o'clock in the day. Your stomach starts growling and, and your body's starting to tell you that you need to eat. I mean, have you ever been truly hungry? Where you've gone day, days without eating and there begins to gnaw at you a pain in your body because your body is telling you you need to eat and it begins to get weak as it starts to consume and, and get its energy from other parts of the body. Have you ever been truly hungry? When a man is truly hungry, all he can think about is his hunger. Back when I was a kid and we would take I-step testing in school, all that kind of standardized testing that we would have to take, those mornings they would have all these snacks for us. They wanted to make sure that we were satisfied while we were taking these tests that our minds could be focused on what we were being asked on these tests. Because if you're hungry, you can't focus on anything else but your hunger. Are you hungry? Now, it's high noon. I don't mean that physically, but I need to clarify that. Some of you might be hungry right now. But I want to know, are you spiritually hungry? If you are lost today, you have a spiritual hunger that you may not even be aware of, but one day God will awaken that hunger in you and you will understand and become convinced and convicted concerning your lost nature, concerning your separated nature, concerning that you are not filled, that you don't have peace with God, you don't know the Spirit of God, you find yourself lost and separated and in your sins and you need to be filled. That's the most important hunger you will ever experience in your life. And when you would come and you would taste the bread of life, you will indeed find yourself filled. I found myself filled when I was a nine-year-old boy. I tasted that the Lord indeed is righteous. I tasted of that good gift that God gave to me in salvation. I have tasted and have known that the Lord can provide that which satisfies a hungry soul. Have you tasted of that? Do you know what it is to have had your soul satisfied by God? Here's the thing that about having of tasted of God's righteousness, of having tasted of the gift of salvation, is that once you've had that taste, you long for it the rest of your life. Jesus, in the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, He was giving these hallmarks of Christianity, these hallmarks, these identifying features of believers. And one of the things He said about those believers that would identify them, He said, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. An identifying trait of a believer is that they continue to long after righteousness. They continue to have a hunger and a thirst to understand and to know more about God, to learn more, to walk closer to Him, to deepen their engagement with Him and their relationship with Him. They have a hunger and a thirst. And when you're hungry, all you can think about is your hunger. 
I want you to think about for a minute what it means to be satisfied when you're hungry. When you're hungry and you eat and you're satisfied, you find yourself to be contented. You find yourself to make a mental note concerning where you found yourself to be satisfied that you can return back there. All of a sudden, you become a little bit more alert. You're a little bit more aware of what's going on around you. You begin to get nourished. Maybe you were getting weakened and you were laboring a little bit and you start to eat and you find yourself to be nourished. But not only so, sometimes after you're satisfied, you rest. I'm speaking to a group of people that will probably leave here, find some lunch somewhere, and then take them a good Sunday afternoon nap. (laughs) You know what it is to have your belly filled and then to rest. But what's the opposite of that? To not be satisfied. You're discontented. Anybody ever met somebody that when they're real hungry, they get a little angry? What do we call that? They're hangry. (laughs) That's right, you guys can answer for me. They're they're hangry. They get irritable when they're not satisfied. They're discontented and they're wondering. They're looking for food. Brother Richard was pointing down to Andy that he gets hangry. And when he is that way, as a little child, they're looking for food. So they're letting their parents know, I'm hungry and I'm depending upon you to nourish me. They find people that are Hungry, they find fleeting satisfaction in things that aren't the real food that they're looking for. Several years ago, Snickers had a commercial about how Snickers will satisfy your hunger for a little while. They had that great commercial, gonna be a while. Grab a Snickers. I said that, my belly started growling. We know, though, that if you were to do that, you would find yourself longing very soon for food. That it wouldn't give you the contentment that you're looking for. When you're unsatisfied, you are weak and you are susceptible. You find yourself to not be as watchful and alert. You're malnourished and you're restless. You're restless. What I've described applies to Christians today. There are different types of Christians concerning their hunger that we will look around and observe in our life. There are some that they're babes. They are bottle fed. The Hebrew writer said that they are on the milk. And I want you to know sometimes that it is good for a young Christian to be on the milk of the Word. They need to come and to have somebody nourish them. They need to have somebody actually come up to them and give them the bottle that they can drink from. To be taught those principal and elementary things of the Scripture that they might begin to grow and begin to develop. I was talking to Sister Diane this morning and she was remarking upon my son Maverick about how he's starting to to kind of look more like a, a kid and he's kind of getting out of that toddler preschoolish phase. That's the nature of a child that eats and develops. They go from, from being on, on the milk to being on baby food to actually be able to eat real food for themselves. Young Christians sometimes, I think, hear about being on the milk of the Word and they think, as, think of it as though it's some derogatory thing. Listen, young Christian, I want you to know my only expectation for you is that you are on the milk of the Word. And the people around you that are more mature than you, they have a responsibility to you to make sure that you indeed are nourished in the Word. DJ, 
Brother Richard's youngest son. He is not of an ability to go and make himself a bottle. He is reliant upon his parents in every way to feed him. So is a young Christian. To hand a young Christian a Bible and say, go, figure it out on your own, would be foolish. Just the same as if I gave my daughter a jug of milk and a cup and said, figure it out. <laughs> She'd make a mess of it, is what she would do. So we need to be watchful and helpful of these that are on the bottle. Those that become to, to be on baby food, they begin to be able to digest more, but they must have it in bite-sized pieces. This applies to some of you. You're, you're not ready to, to really dive into something deep on your own, but when you walk through it with somebody else, and they kind of chunk it down into little bite-sized pieces, you can tolerate it, you can eat it, and you can understand it. Then as that child begins to grow, they reach teenager age. You ever been around a teenage boy around 13, 14 years old? They'll eat just about anything in sight. They're like a goat. They'll just eat and eat and eat. We reach that stage as, as being a Christian. Something will ignite in us and it's like you just can't get enough. You want more and you hunger after more and you long after more. And at this moment, you are growing and developing at the quickest stage of your life and you are very quickly transitioning from a child into adulthood. And what happens in those moments too often is that we see that young person, that young Christian, and they just seem like they just can't get enough. And we that are older would kind of look at them and say, you need to slow down. Meanwhile, spiritually, their bodies are telling them, we need more. For a parent to tell their teenage boy, you need to eat less, would be to be going against what their body is telling them. Mom, Dad, I need more calories because my body is growing. What am I getting at? These young Christians that have been around for a little while, they transitioned off of the milk, they transitioned off of the bite-sized baby food of the Word. They need to be growing and growing quickly. And we as God's people should not diminish that, but should encourage that. When you have somebody coming to you and that just seems like they can't stop asking questions, you labor with them and you tarry with them and you answer every question they have because God is doing a work in them. And we should foster that and encourage Encourage that, not hold it back. Too often I see people get to this age and it's like their, their, their pastor or their mentors will just get worn out by them. That says more about the pastor or the mentor than it does the person that's asking the questions. A couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> Brother Michael had sent me a text message and he was trying to understand an Old Testament passage of Scripture about whether or not we could eat meat. He was really concerned about whether we could have bacon. <laughs> that's what his text message specifically said. I thought, I've got all the time in the world, Brother Michael. We can talk about bacon all day. <laughs> but I was able to give him the New Testament Scripture that does tell us that we are able to freely eat. He wouldn't be able to find that on his own. But he's a growing young man in the Word and every question that he ever has, I hope somebody's around to answer it for him. Don't stunt the growth when you see somebody that's growing rapidly around you. A lot of times I'm afraid that what happens is we see somebody growing rapidly around us and it almost becomes to us a type of mirror in which we see ourselves and we see that we're not growing like they are. It almost becomes this type of thing that condemns us. 
You may have to deal with that. You might have to go and wrestle the Scriptures yourself to provide an answer to somebody. But spend that time that you might find that your brothers and sisters are nourished up in the Word of God. Every now and then you'll stumble upon a Christian and they're just malnourished. You see it in them. They're weak. You talk to them about their life and they just have frustrations. They're discontented. I guess you could say they're hangry. They're not getting fed what they should be getting fed. They're not spending time grazing on their own. These are adults. These are full-grown Christians. They're not getting what they need to be able to grow for themselves to be sustained in the Word and sustained spiritually. And in those moments, a lot of times what you'll hear from those people that are hangry is they begin to blame others about their hunger. That's a natural tendency that we have as people that when we find ourselves in places that we're discontented, we begin to blame our discontentment on our surroundings. Every now and then I'll have somebody come up to me, actually I think it's only happened one time in my pastorate here at Faith, and somebody will say, I just don't feel like I'm getting fed. And a lot of times I want to look to that person and I say, well I wonder why you feel that way, you're only coming here once a month. <laughs> Anybody that only comes to the dinner table once a month isn't going to find themselves filled. You're going to be hungry. But not only so, if you're only coming to the dinner table once a week, Twice a week maybe, maybe three times a week if you come on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights both, you're not going to be adequately fed either. Christians, I'm talking to you. As you grow and as you develop in the Word of God, as you ascend to spiritual maturity, you must spend time for yourself grazing in the fields of the Word of God. You must spend time yourself raising in the fields of hearing preaching on your own, of surrounding yourself with those deep thoughts of the Lord. You'll note this week that back in the back, I have a quote on the screen from C.H. Spurgeon. And he is making a quote about somebody who is not using somebody else's brain and taking from it that they are failing themselves. Making the reference that if you aren't learning quotes and if you aren't reading after people and and understanding things from different people, you're going to find yourself hurt by it. And he said this does not just apply to ministers, but this applies to all of us. You need to read, was how he summarized that thought. Christians, you need to read. Derek, you know, I, I just struggle... You know that King James Version of the Bible? It's just real hard to read. Listen, I will gladly support you in finding a translation that's a little easier for you. I think that if you commit time to it, you can probably even work through the King James Version. But we actually spent, me and a couple other brothers in the Bethel Association, we spent years, literally a couple of years, going through other translations of the Scriptures to find one that we could recommend. And I will recommend to you today the NASB 95 translations of the Scriptures. If you can't find yourself of an ability to reason through the King James Version of the Bible, I publicly endorse to you today the NASB 95. Get you a good copy of it. Read one on your phone or wherever it might be that you can get a copy of it but spend time grazing in the pastures of the Word of God. And you will find yourself stronger for it. Every now and then you'll come across a Christian and you can tell that they've been eating. But they've been eating junk food, not the good food of the Scripture. 
Y'all can look at me as evidence of somebody that eats junk food and not good food. We oftentimes find ourselves to be filled by things that aren't true, the things that aren't good, the things in which we should spend our time eating. This time, the things that we should spend our time grazing on. You will find yourself that you become satisfied by these things that will offer for you the strength that you can find from the Word of God. You find yourself to be filled by the evening news, be filled by entertainment that's offered to you in other capacities, and all of a sudden you find yourself to be more consuming of those things that don't offer life to you than to consume of the bread of life. I think this is something that is very evident in Christianity today, that people find themselves more contented by the junk of the world than by the bread of life. Listen to me today, Christian. If you find yourself to be more contented by the junk of this world than the bread of life, you need to be on your face seeking after the Lord, making your calling and election sure, and asking God to restore in your soul a hunger and a thirst for uh, for righteousness and for the Word of God. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. There are others who would tell you as Christians that they have a well-balanced diet. They think, well, you know, I I do a little bit of these other things over here in the world, but, you know, I I still spend time studying and and I still go to church and, you know, I'm really, I I just kind of have all these things going on, but but the Lord is part of that. They say, I'm just well-rounded. A well-rounded diet of Scripture is not to read Scripture for 15 minutes a day, close it up, put it away, and spend the rest of your time in the world. A well-rounded diet spiritually is that you would spend your time not just merely reading and studying the Word, but dwelling upon the thoughts of the Lord, dwelling upon what it is to walk with the Lord, practicing your walk with the Lord, walking after righteousness, finding your faith to increase, spending time with God in prayer. And these things that all have at their center Christ, that is what it is to be well-balanced spiritually. If your life is merely that Christianity, your life is merely that your faith is some addition to all these other things that you have going on, you're doing it wrong. The Christian life is to be centered not around the things that you enjoy, around just the busyness of life that would consume you. The Christian life is to be centered around Christ. Is Christ truly the center of your life? I want to tell you something. If you truly make Christ the center of your life, you will find that all the other things that you're a part of, all the other things that you are doing, they begin to find themselves not just centered around that, but being drawn closer to that center. My wife was asking prayer earlier for this homeschool community that we find ourselves just having more and more doors opening to us. I want you to know that part of what we are involved in that homeschool community, our, our kids play soccer with all these other, other homeschool kids. And as a result of those relationships that we've built around a soccer field, we find more and more doors opening. If our lives were not centered around Christ, a soccer field would not be something that finds itself drawn to the center. You see that? Listen, I... Youth sports is something that can be, be a fine thing. 
But too often times we find people that put youth sports at the center of their life. And they put Christ on the outside. And they got those two things in the wrong place. Work is in the center of their life and Christ is on the outside and they got those things in the wrong place. School or, or pursuits after this thing or after that thing, they have their what's centering them out of place. The Christian's life is to be centered around Christ. And if you find your life centered around anything else, you're going to find yourself hungry and discontented. You're not going to be satisfied. If you put Christ at the center of your life, all the rest of those aspects of your life are not just merely going to surround it and revolve around the center, but they're going to be drawn to the center. But all of your life begins to be a reflection of Christ. I think that's awesome. What about just a hungry person? I'll try to close here. What about just a hungry person? You're a Christian and you're hungry. (laughs) I have a deep respect for the hungry Christian. They want to be fed. And they're doing all that they can to find food. As I heard Brother David Swindle put it one time down at Old Union, he said, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. That's the life of the Christian. We're hungry beggars, but what we have found is a storehouse of choice bread and oil, and we return to that, that storehouse time and time again, and we find each time that we return there that it is filled for us and is available for us to take from it freely, and we should be hungering after that, that we might return again and again and again. The hungry man, all he can think about is his hunger. The person who is hungering and thirsting after Christ, all that they can think about is Christ. You ever been around an expecting mom when they get a craving? All the dads that have had expecting wives, you all smirk because you know that in the moment when you have a wife who is expecting and she is craving something, that the only thing you can do to find contentment in your life is to get that woman what she's craving. Spent a lot of money on Arby's when Lila was on her way. The point that I'm making is that when we crave for the deep things of the Lord, we find ourselves to just make that our aim and we will pursue after it until we are filled. And we will come back time and time again for that filling. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I have quoted to you from the Beatitudes now a couple of times, but I haven't finished it all the way yet. When Jesus said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, he went on to say this, for they shall be filled. If you truly hunger and thirst after righteousness, God will help you. You will indeed find yourself to be filled. I ask you today, are you hungry? Are you hungry? I want to close by reading a passage of Scripture from the book of Revelation. 
Revelation chapter 7, verses 14 through 17 says, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, They are they which come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes. The question was asked about the elders. It says, These are those which have come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. We hunger here. But we'll never be hungry in heaven. Isn't that awesome? We will be filled for all eternity. Are you hungry? The man that is hungry, all he can think about is his hunger. Are you hungry? Thank you for listening to me today. I pray that God will bless His message. Something on your heart. Something the Lord wants you to say or do.